Well, good morning, everyone. Awesome. If you join me in prayer. Lord, as we've sung this morning, as we've listened to stories, Lord, we recognize that we are all in need of your grace. And we also recognize that we all have moments of disgrace. But in those moments of disgrace, you bring us to grace. So we pray that you would show us that today. Show us the areas of, your, of, of our lives that we need to surrender to you so that you can bring us from disgrace to grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you had met me while I was a teenager, I'm not sure you would have recognized me. Um, well, actually, if we met in church, uh, you would have recognized me, but if you had met me anywhere outside of the church, you probably wouldn't have thought uh, I was the same person. I was the classic poster boy of uh, kind of a Sunday Christian. I went to Sunday school, VBS, you know, youth night. I memorized Bible verses. I was in the church musicals. I mean, I memorized Bible verses. I did it all. Uh, but once I left these doors in this place, I was a completely different person. I was a hypocrite. I was a liar. I cheated in school. I was a drinker. I was a wannabe player. Uh, I had mastered the art of living one way at home, another way at church, and a third way at school and online. Now, it's not like I planned to be like this or to live these different lives. I had no master plan in and through it all. I wasn't strategic toward that, and neither did I read some sort of book, you know, How to Lie for Dummies. You know, there's nothing like that. Uh, it's just that one lie ended up leading to another lie. And then when I lied in this place, it ended up leading to another lie, and it just kind of snowballed to the point where I ended up living three different lives. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Yeah. Well, two of these unintentionally crafted lives came crashing together when at school I uh, beat up this one kid. Now, it's, I'm not saying that because I'm proud that I, I mean, I was proud that I beat him up at that moment. Uh, but later on, I was very, I'm still very today, I'm very remorseful. I wish I could see him so I could apologize to him. But there was this day when I beat up this one kid at school and uh, everything kind of came crashing together because I guess I had forgotten he went to my church. <laughs> so... I guess when it was all happening, I threatened him. I was like, hey, man, you, I mean, you better not tell anyone what happened. And it was just like I was trying to, I guess, retrace my steps and try to protect what was going on. Uh, and, and I actually thought I got away with it because he didn't, I didn't get suspended or expelled from school. I mean, it happened outside at school, on school property, but I guess he didn't tell any of his teachers or the administrators, and I mean, even all my friends heard about it. I mean, the school kind of heard about it, so it was good for me on that side, I guess, as a teenager, you know, no one mess with Daniel, you know, that kind of, you know, with that kind of uh, perception, but it was a different story at church, though, because my childhood friends started acting differently around me. Now, they didn't confront me on it initially, but when I would see them in the hallways at church, they started avoiding me. And these are kids that I grew up with since I was a little kid, until one of them finally had the guts to come to me and ask me, hey, why did you do it? And I was like, why did I do what? 
And he's like, why did you beat up David? Have any of you ever been in a similar situation? I'm not talking about beating someone else up, um, but, but a time where you had to lie to cover up another lie? Or maybe when you had, because you've been lying, that moment when you were discovered, right? When, when, you do, when, when other people discovered the lies that you had been telling, uh, but you didn't really know if they knew, but you thought they knew, and it was just this awkward little interaction. Maybe a time where your hidden life and your public life came crashing together, and, and in that moment you were just filled with all sorts of feelings of shame, guilt, embarrassment, and anger. You know that moment when, in that moment, right, you just wish you could turn back time when you could start all over again? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could open up to John chapter 8, we actually see in this passage a moment when this woman was likely going through those feelings. She was going through those feelings when a religious leader dragged her out in public and her hidden life and her public life came crashing together. So in John chapter 8, starting from verse 2, we see how Jesus then responds to her. So, and, and, and this is important because we'll actually see how he wants to respond to those of you today who might be experiencing that right now. Let's look at John chapter 8, starting from verse 2. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they, when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Well, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Now imagine this scenario, right? It's dawn, Jesus is at the temple, and the crowds have surrounded him. He's teaching the crowds, and then as he's teaching the crowds, right, the scribes and the Pharisees bring this woman who is caught in adultery right to the center and right before Jesus, right? Just imagine this scenario early in the morning. Now, in your Bibles, you probably see, whether you have it open in the app or if you have a, um, a physical Bible here, you probably see there's this phrase here, right? The earliest MSS manuscripts do not include this passage. How many of you have that in your Bibles? How many of you see that, right? So when you read something like that, right, I mean, this begs the question, if the earliest manuscripts don't include this, well, why is it in the Bible, right? It's, a, it's an honest question. Why is it in the Bible? Because there's probably other aspects that weren't in the earliest manuscripts that didn't make it in the Bible, but this is for some reason. So when we think about this question, right, why is this in the Bible, right, if there's any amount of doubt regarding whether or not John wrote this section right here, why 
Is it in the scriptures? Well, we need to clarify what's in that question uh, and what I'm asking and what I'm not asking. Okay, so what's in this question of why this is in the Bible, um, what's in question is whether or not John wrote it. Okay, that's the thing that people are wondering about. Okay, even to this day in early textual, you know, in textual criticism and theologians, you know, they're just trying to figure out, did John actually write this? And because there's not an agreement around that, that's why it's kind of, there's a section like that right there. So that is what's in question, whether or not John wrote it. What's not in question is whether or not this story is authentic. You see the difference? So what's in question is, did John, was John actually the author of this? But what's not being questioned is, is it actually authentic and did it actually happen? That is not the question that we are asking, which is why it's in the scriptures. So throughout the history of the church, right, this story, it's been held that this is true. They just don't know who the author is because it isn't written the way that John would write it. But what's not being questioned is whether or not it's authentic. This is who Jesus is, and the story is very authentic to who Jesus is. All right, so that, I just wanted to give some clarity around that because sometimes that can be a little confusing. I know it has been for me as well. Okay, so let's go back to the story, right? It's dawn, the scribes and the Pharisees bring out this woman who was caught in adultery, right? They, they bring her out in public and out in front of Jesus. Now, the way that this is worded in the text leads us to believe that there were witnesses that actually saw the woman caught in adultery, right? The way that this is worded is, it wasn't just, oh, I heard that this woman was cheating on her husband. It's not that, or, or it wasn't even that someone caught her and some guy walking out of a hotel, and it was just, it was just weird. That's not even what it was. It was that literally, the way that this was worded, someone caught her having sex with a man who was not her husband. That's how plainly stated, that's how it's worded here. Okay, now what's interesting, right, with the way that this all happened and, and, and due to the facts, I mean, just think about it. If they caught her in the act, why is it that she's the only one there? Right, any of you wonder about that? Right, like, especially if they caught her in the act. So because the guy wasn't present, it's highly likely that this was actually a trap. That was actually a ruse um, that, because there really should have been two people in there. And because it was some sort of trap, that's why they probably created a way for the guy to escape. Okay, now according to the law of that day, the witnesses, right, if someone had caught her in this situation, the witnesses that caught her in this were supposed to actually warn the woman first. There's a saying in this day called no penalty without a warning. Okay, so they were actually in this instance, they were supposed to warn her instead of bringing her before the religious leaders in that day. But there's no indication in the story that she had done this because basically her accusers were out to get her, which causes us to have to ask the question, why? Right? I mean, just think about it. Why did her accusers not give her a warning, number one? And why is there not a, the, the guy also there? Right? So what is it that these accusers had against this woman that caused them to do this to her? Early in the morning, right? There has to be something behind the story. Maybe she beat someone up at school, 
right? I don't know. I mean, there, but there's something, right? I mean, maybe she was mean to the other wives, right? And the wives were like, you know, talking to, you know, to say, okay, husbands, you need to, maybe that's what it was. Maybe they even like caused her to commit adultery, you know, brought temptation around her. And maybe that's what it was. I don't, we don't know. Maybe she was even trying to, you know, she knew something about someone and the people who knew that she knew were trying to make sure that her name was defamed. So they wanted her to get caught and be, you know, who knows what was going on. But the fact of the matter is, yes, she was clearly in the wrong. A lot of times, right, in our lives, as followers of Christ, there will always be, right, temptation will be there. As a follower of Christ, you never get away or live a life or can live a life where there is no temptation. Temptation is not a sin. It's what you do with the temptation that is the sin or not, right? So this woman was clearly tempted and she did sin, right? She was in the wrong and she committed adultery, but she was likely set up. Now, just look at verse four here. How did the accusers refer to Jesus? What did they call Jesus in verse four? Teacher, right? Why would they call him teacher? It's kind of like that moment when at work you refer to your boss as, hey, boss. Right? You don't, I mean, it's kind of weird if you always refer to your boss as boss. Right? It's, it's a, I mean, maybe that's the culture of your work, but it's pretty uncommon to do that. Right? So you probably say that when you're like, hey, boss. Hey, how's it going? Because you're probably wanting to ask him for something, right? You probably have something behind, or maybe, it, it, you know, maybe you approach your parents or your mom, right? And you're like, hey, mommy, right? You're, you know, not as like a 50-year-old, right? But as a teenager, it's not even like you're calling, maybe if you're like six, you're calling your mom, mommy, right? But as like a teenager, you go and you're like, hey, mommy, I love you so much. Right? And they're like, what do you want? <laughs> Anyone here know, right? I mean, yeah, we see the heads nodding, right? So there's an ulterior motive going on here. So let's look at verse 4 and see what they're saying, right? Verse 4, teacher, right? Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Now, think about this. The accusers are coming to Jesus. They're saying, hey, teacher. And they're not actually quoting from Scripture. They're paraphrasing, right? Do you see that? In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. They're paraphrasing, and they're paraphrasing it because they want to communicate what they want to happen. They're not actually communicating what it says in the scriptures. They're paraphrasing. And if you didn't know the exact scriptures that they were talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 22, if you didn't actually know those few verses, it sounded right enough that you would just go along with it. You're like, oh yeah, that, that, you're right. Moses did say something about stoning yeah, Moses did say something about, you know, adultery and, and death. And yeah, that, that totally sounds right if you didn't actually know what Moses said. So that's why with teacher, they're coming before and they're paraphrasing the law of Moses. I mean, it sounds and it seems suspicious, doesn't it? 
Now, it's interesting how it says here, such woman. In Deuteronomy 22, 22, right, if you were to look at that scripture, it actually says not that in a case of adultery that only the woman is supposed to be punished. Actually, it talks about both the woman and the man. Right? That's actually what they should have said. And then Jesus would have been like, where's the man? But they're trying to trap him, and that's why they changed it from man and woman to such woman. Okay, that's the first thing. Uh, what's also interesting is that the accusers are very specific about how she should die, right? That she should be stoned to death. And there's no relevant passages that adulter that say in the law of Moses that adulterers should be stoned to death. It doesn't actually say that adulterers should be stoned to death. In Deuteronomy 22, right, 23 and 24, it says that stoning is prescribed for a virgin pledged to be married, but that's not what this situation is. So they're confusing and they're mixing things up. They're paraphrasing to try to trap Jesus, right? That's what's going on here. They are trying to trap him. So look at what it says right after that. They say at the end of verse 5, so, right? They said, this is what's happening. The woman's right in front of Jesus. And they say, so, what do you say? Right? They're carefully crafting this situation, putting it in front of Jesus. And they're saying, so, Jesus, you know, man of God, so, Jesus, leader, ruler, whatever you are, what do you say about this situation? Now, if you were Jesus, if you, as Jesus, would have said, okay, well, stone her, right? If he would have said stone her, then he would have actually been charged of going against Roman law because the death penalty was not the consequence of such sin according to Roman law, right? So they're, they're saying, hey, is he going to say stone her or is he going to say not stone her? Right? Stoner, he would have been accused of breaking Roman law. If he said don't stone her, then he would have been charged with offending the law of God. It was a lose-lose situation in that passage right there. It was a trap, right? Verse 6, they asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. That's what they were trying to do here. So instead of walking into this trap, this temptation, this test... Jesus actually stoops down, and I love this, right? I mean, this is, it's so neat. He stoops down, and he starts writing on the ground with his, with his finger. Now, I know you probably want me to have studied a lot, right, and, and say, hey, this is actually what he wrote, but there's no, no one knows, no one knows exactly what he wrote. There's questions, there's hypotheses around what he wrote, but no one actually knows quite what he wrote. Maybe he wrote what he eventually said, right? It says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. So maybe because of dramatic effect, he wanted to write that out, right? Maybe. Uh, or maybe, uh, he, maybe the Mosaic law, maybe he was actually writing out what it said in Deuteronomy 22, 22 to 24, so that they could see it's like, hey, I know exactly what's going on here, and I know you guys are trying to trap me. Maybe, or maybe, uh, I, I love this one hypothesis, that he actually wrote out all the sins that every accuser bringing her before him had sinned. Or maybe even better yet, he wrote their names and the sin. <laughs> right? That would have proved quite a bit, wouldn't it? 
Or maybe he just drew four lines and he wanted someone to play tic-tac-toe with him, right? No one actually knows what Jesus wrote here. But nevertheless, the accusers kept on persisting that he respond, right? You're like, come on, stop drawing, get up, respond. So he gets up and he says, okay, if you really want an answer, here it is. Whoever is without sin, go ahead and throw a stone. His response was perfect, right? It was perfect. It was completely perfect because it disarmed the accusers. There was no way, right, that they were able to bring any charge before him, right? On the one hand, no one could accuse him of rejecting the law of Moses, but with the way he responded, uh, and because no one there was sinless, the Roman law of stoning her, I mean, no one would have stoned her, right? And the Roman law wouldn't have been broken either, right? So it's like what it says in Matthew 7 verse 5, right? Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly enough to see the speck in your own, right? In, in, in your friend's eye. So while everyone was pointing, I love this, right? While everyone was pointing their finger at her, uh, they didn't realize how many fingers were pointing at them, right? They didn't recognize that. So after saying that, Jesus stooped back down and continued his game of Sudoku, right? I mean, so he's like, literally, I was like, why did he go back down and start writing? Just think about how tense this whole situation must have been. I mean, it's high energy, isn't it? A lot of emotion. And I don't know about you, Christina knows this really well. She knows not to ask much of me in the morning. Because I, I mean, I, I need to drink my coffee and spend time with the Lord in the scriptures right? One after the other or one. I mean, it, I need to do that or I'm just like, my fuse is short, right? She's grinning right now. She doesn't want to <laughs> nod. Uh, it's, it, but that's, that's how I am, right? I mean, so just think about this. Jesus is teaching. It's the morning and this, this dynamite infused situation is brought before him. It was tense. And literally after he said that, all the accusers started leaving one by one in a procession. It started with the elders. And as they left, they, you know, others who saw that the elders were leaving, others were probably like, well, I'm not as holy as them. I don't know as much about the law as them. So if they're leaving, then who am I to stay? Have I sinned less than them? So, so they actually left too. Now, here's what's amazing about Jesus. And here's what's amazing about this story here. In the presence of Jesus, we can't hide anything. That's what's amazing about this. Now, I know I've wanted to hide things from Christ, but in the presence of Jesus, we can't hide anything. He's like a refiner's fire. When we come before him, he burns the impurities and he refines us into pure gold. In the presence of Jesus, nothing can be hidden. Everything will actually be made clear and be brought out into the light. So our response can either be wait until we're exposed, because that day is going to come, or your response today can be, I'm going to bring that before Jesus into the light. Because either way, Jesus is not standing there to condemn you, or he's not doing this. He's actually standing here with his arms open wide and saying, won't you come? Jesus wants to replace the disgrace 
that this adulterer was experiencing with his grace. And he wants to do that to us today. He wants to replace our disgrace with his grace, right? Disgrace to grace. He wants to replace the disgrace that we might be feeling inside living duplicitous lives or or living one way in one situation and another another way. He wants to replace that sense of shame, of guilt, and disgrace with his wonderful and free grace. He replaced this woman's sinful disgrace with his wonderful grace. Now, it's important to note that Jesus does not forgive her. Take a look at the passage if you don't believe me. Look at what happens at the end. Verse 10, right? Verse 9, they left, and then verse 10, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And here's her actually speaking, right? No one, Lord, right? That's, that's all she says. No one, Lord. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. Jesus doesn't actually forgive her here. And it's not because he can't forgive her. He can And he wants to forgive her. And he wants to forgive each and every one of you and I for the sins that we have been harboring and from the disgraceful lives that we have been living. He wants to extend his forgiveness to us and to her, but he isn't because she actually hasn't asked for forgiveness. She hasn't asked for forgiveness here, and she, there's no indication that her life is repentant. There's no indication that she has actually changed at all. We don't see that side of it. Now, how can Jesus forgive her if she hasn't yet repented or hasn't entrusted herself to him through faith? And that's how it is for those of you here who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you've been coming here on an arm of a friend or a family member and, and, and you've been singing the songs and you've been listening to the words that have been spoken here, but you haven't actually trusted your life to Jesus. You haven't actually asked him for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, Jesus wants to forgive you, but we need to actually ask him for forgiveness. Right? Well, freedom from sin and experiencing new life in Christ is open and available to every single one of us and our neighbors and our family members and our enemies and our, and our other, you know, others who we might not want to experience forgiveness and we don't think deserve forgiveness. I mean, every, the, the forgiveness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is open and available to everyone through the death of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, but we actually need to respond. We need to actually respond to that. It's not just about knowing it, but it's about responding to it. In other words, forgiveness doesn't automatically apply to you just because you go to church. Forgiveness doesn't actually automatically apply to you because you grew up in the church. Forgiveness doesn't actually automatically apply to you because your parents are Christian. It doesn't go through bloodlines. It doesn't transfer in that way. I love how one commentator put it. I love this. He says it this way. Jesus doesn't give her a license to keep sinning. He gives her a reason to stop. 
Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't give her a license to keep sinning. He gives her a reason to stop. And this, if we keep this up here, this is what's amazing about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we come before Jesus and we recognize that on the cross and because of what he has done for us, we recognize that no matter what sin we may commit, we understand no matter what sin we may commit, he will always offer forgiveness to us, right? We recognize that. And I know in my cynical days, I was like, wow, Jesus' grace is awesome, so I'm going to live any way I want. And I'm going to do this that I know clearly is sin. And I, all I got to do is go and ask God for forgiveness. Literally, that's what was going through my mind. And I actually thought that was a great way to game the system. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you ever thought that too. Uh, but I'm sure you might have, if, especially if you're of the cynical type. What I realized about gaming the system, and I read this as I was reading the Word this morning, yesterday and, and this morning, I'm reading through the book of Ephesians right now, and I, and I recognize this because in Ephesians it talks about the hardness of our heart. And what happened to me is the more I game the system, I don't want to call it a system, but you know, the more I did this, what I realized is that my heart became harder and harder and harder. And I just became increasingly cynical. My relationship with Jesus turned into religion. It was like I sinned and I asked for penance. I mean, that's how I lived my life for several years. I thought that the cross of Jesus Christ was a license to keep sinning. The grace that we sang about, that is freely given, I thought that that was legitimately a license to keep sinning. As long as right after I sinned, I, you know, I, 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 I asked for forgiveness because I might die. You know, just, I mean, that's literally what I thought. As long as I quickly ask for forgiveness, I'm good, Jesus is good, you know, his blood covers over my sin, and that's how I thought, and I truly did think that it was a license to keep sinning. But what's interesting about this whole paradigm, right? I don't know, I mean, the only person who knows whether or not we are saved is Jesus, isn't it? Because I'm convinced there are many people who think they are saved, but they're not actually saved. Because all they did, yes, they confessed with their mouth that Jesus was Lord at one point, but they didn't actually believe in their heart that he was raised from the dead. It was just this something they said. And they're not as long as I say it, then I'm saved. But the fruit of a follower of Christ is not someone that looks for a license to keep sinning, but if you truly follow Christ, you realize that what Jesus did on the cross was actually a reason to stop. If you're truly a follower of Christ, you realize that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, our life in him is actually so much better than our life without him. That the freedom that we feel that is bound in our lives where we can't live any way that we want when we come before Christ, we realize that that's actually a lie from the enemy because we are actually bound when we don't know Christ. 
We are bound to the temptations of this world. We are bound to the temptations of our flesh and to the ways of our flesh that if you live a life according to that way, it actually always ends in bitterness and regret and shame and disgrace. But when we come before Christ, there's freedom and there's lightness. I love what the commentator, he goes on to say, your sin never surprises Jesus. When he took your sin on himself as he hung on the cross, he bore judgment for every sinful action, attitude, and thought you'd ever have. Your sin can't surprise him because he's already received the punishment for it. As a Christian, you are free from condemnation. Jesus paid it all. Rest in his grace. Rest in his goodness. Rest in his forgiveness. Jesus won't stone you, so don't stone yourself. Friends, Jesus wants to replace your disgrace to grace. He wants to replace your disgrace with his grace. 